walking in first course, I got a blueberry board, two roasted beet salads, and a brown dod. Second course, I got a mushroom risotto, grouper, medium rare hanger steak. I need that souffle for table 24. Hey, what's up everybody? Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to 86 Straight Dialogue with Restaurant Leaders, where we're talking with chefs, restaurateurs, and consultants about everything related to restaurant culture. I am your host. My name is Adam Stafford. I've been in the restaurant industry for about 15 years. By no means does that make me an expert, just someone that really enjoys talking shop and providing value wherever I can. I look to provide you, the listener, with insight and strategy that you can use in your day-to-day -day moving forward. I encourage you to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, our YouTube channel, 86 Attrition, as well as our affiliate website, hospitality1to1.com. I look forward to hearing from each and every one of you, and if you like what you hear, I encourage you to subscribe to the show. Again, thanks for stopping by. So this conversation starts off the audio series that is in conjunction with the video series entitled Crushed Culinary. And with this series, we've been talking with chefs and restaurateurs in the Cleveland area to get a better understanding of the impact that COVID has had on the culinary landscape of Cleveland. Through this dialogue, you really get a more thorough understanding of the tough decisions that hospitality owners have had to face in terms of keeping their guests and their staff safe and support their livelihood. If you're interested in checking out the video series, you can go over to the show's Facebook page, which is 86 Dialogue, or you can check it out on the YouTube channel, 86 Attrition. That's the word 80, the number six, and the word attrition. Uh, if you're looking to find out more about Ben Biebenroth and Jess Edmonds, the business partners that run the spice companies, you can go over to their website, spicecaters.com. Thank you again for tuning in. And if you are in the Cleveland area, I just encourage you to do what you can to support these businesses like Spice, like Tartine, like Noble Beast. Um, some of the people that we've been talking with as they weather the storm that is COVID. Thanks again for tuning in. So uh, I'm here talking this afternoon with Ben Biebenroth and Jess Edmonds. They're business partners that run the spice companies uh, who I had the very good fortune of working for for about three and a half years. And uh, that includes, at this point, the, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ben, the farm, the catering company, the nonprofit field kitchen. What am I forgetting? Feel like there's nothing no anymore. Well, yeah, Spice Kitchen Bar is defunct now, but right. we'll come back as a future entity. And then uh, Spice Pantry is the most recent entity that we formed. That now, obviously, since COVID hit, you know, that was going to be the home of our boutique retail product line. So ferments, you know, vinegars, hot sauces. Uh, not a huge market need for that right now, so we're going to pivot on that. But sure. that we do have that as an entity name. Okay. Very cool. Plate Boulder. Very cool. Um, and if you guys could just, you know, I could 
try to conjure this from memory and probably do a pretty pretty poor job of it or uh, one or both of you could kind of walk us through like how you guys came to start working together in the first place. All right, I'll start it. <laughs> um, so I, uh, you know, when I started the catering company, I started as a stay at home dad and I was taking my daughter around, you know, in the minivan and just prepping food. And then eventually I got to uh, a place where I hired my classmate from culinary school and he lived in our attic in my grandmother's house. And then my next step of growth was going to um, partnering in with another larger catering firm so I could utilize their logistics infrastructure, um, you know, drivers to dishwashers. I didn't have those things. I was doing all that stuff myself. So we partnered with Marigold and when we were there um, or when I was there, rather, I was working with a friend of mine, Greg McLaren, who I had worked for as an employee of Marigold in the past. Um, and he just, you know, he saw me kind of running around and he kind of paved the way and said, you need a, you need a companion and event planner to kind of do the sales component so that you can do the production component and execution. And he was like, I know this amazing lady that works out at the flying monkey. And I went out there with Greg for beers and I was totally like floored. Cause I tell Jess all the time. I was like, man, I feel like she was totally out of my league. <laughs> I didn't even know he was there. <laughs> but I remember that, um, that moment of like kind of accepting that reality of like, okay, there has to be multiple people have to wear a hat so that they can excel at it. So yeah, it was, you know, that was in 2007. I sold my company to Marigold for 250 bucks and a salary. And then we hired Jess and it was her and I in a little 10 by 10 office. So she did the selling and I did the cooking and went from there. Very cool. So, you know, not to, certainly not to gloss over the, the many successes that took place between then and now. Um, those successes being, you know, the launch of the restaurant, the launch of the field kitchen, um, the taking over of the farm and operating of that. But, you know, what do you, what do things look like, look like now for you guys? What do they look like? Yes. Every day. Um, <laughs> the initial, the initial plan, you know, I mean, I'm not joking when I say that we've had a dozen different plans more than mm -hmm. that, you know, cause everything changes so quickly and just the way our industry is, it's like, you're always working towards the next event. Mm -hmm. So when everything hit, you know, March, April, March and April went away immediately, May slowly went away, then June, and then it got started getting really real of like, oh my God, we might lose half a year. And then another month goes by and you're like, we might lose a whole year, you know? So now we're kind of in this weird place of, you know, we were going to go back to work in July and be like open for business and taking leads. And we do have two bookings actually this weekend at the farm. Um but we've sort of pushed off any bookings till August and we do have quite a few bookings in August, September, October, November, December still, but um, it's anybody's guess, you know, we just heard the governor speak today at five 30 and it was, if you could read between the lines, it was basically a warning of get your shit together or it's probably going to be another lockdown or, or something um, somewhere in between, you know, which could mean, you know, another ban on mass gatherings. Okay. Um, 
So that would mean August would go away because that's two weeks away. Um, if, if things don't get better, which I can't imagine they will because so yeah. it, it's, it's hard to say we Ben said it best on Monday, we all met and we're literally taking it week by week at this point. Um, so, you know, as a company, we've created a bunch of processes, protocols, how to keep our team safe, how to keep guests safe. We've lost a couple weddings just to these processes because we're sort of going above and beyond because we have a huge responsibility to keep our team safe. Sure. Um, and some clients, you know, whether they don't think it's that serious or just don't want to follow all the rules, we're just at the point where we're like, if you're hiring us, you're going to follow the rules and then some because this is just how we're going to operate, you know? So we've lost some big gigs because people don't want to adhere and that's fine. We're, we're fine to send them on our way because the, the safety of our team is far more important. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, what I was going to, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, um, not at all, Bob. So one thing I was kind of curious about, and you sort of answered that question already. Um, I just didn't know if you might want to expound on it. Like, how does the sales process look different now than it did before? It's sort of twofold. I would say there's one conversation we have with anybody who wants to talk to us for 2020. And then there's another process for 2021 because I almost, we almost have to approach 2021. Like everything's going to be normal, even though we probably know it won't, but I don't want to have to repivot 20 different times. So treat the new year as a clean slate. The sales process is kind of how it always was. You know, they can do anything they want under the sun. We'll customize things, we have packages, we can do whatever. But if you're trying to do something in 2020, it's a totally different conversation. I mean, we are offering two different services. Um, a food drop, where we'll drop off everything um, to your specification and disposable, um, or we have a full service plated, fully staffed event. So like a wedding essentially, but it's only plated. We're not doing anything buffet style, nothing family style, nothing stationary nothing passed. I, I mean, I turn away a ton of leads a day just because I think people just want to support a small business. And so they'll be like, Oh, I'm having a 15 person party in my backyard. I want to hire you guys. And it's like, sorry, man. <laughs> unless you've got a pretty decent budget, you know, that's just the way it is. And the more people I talk to, the more they're like, this seems to be a trend of, I'm not going to go back to work for a $1,200 order. You just can't do it. The risks are too high. And not only the risks are too high, but the dude, margins are too low. <laughs> we don't make that much money. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I saw this fascinating article and it was in Yahoo Finance. And it was like, why the NBA return to work is an example of um, the challenges lying in the future restart of the economy. And it was basically like, hey, we're going to still do the season, but you got to play in a bubble in Orlando. And all these athletes are kind of like, what if I get hurt? Like, what if I get hurt in this bullshit season? Like, is there a run on a championship? Like, is there, who's going to be there? Nobody's going to, no energy, no, right? All these factors. And these dudes make millions of dollars. So now you apply that same kind of recipe of self-evaluation of like, what is my time worth? And now it's like, yeah, not only can we not afford to execute a $1,200 order because of the circumstances, the paradigm of which we are navigating. However, the other side of that is, what about your sous chef that makes $45,000 a year 
and it's just kind of like, yeah, man, I'm not really into it anymore. It's like, I can't argue with them because they're like, I don't want to really go to a big room full of people I don't know and put my family at risk, myself at risk for, frankly, a very small compensation. You know, no medical benefits. So if you get sick, what, you're on your own, you know? So it's really caused me to look at not only the new world of need of, for food, how people will dine, what they want, what they trust, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's the side of it of how a business needs to function within that, right? Optimize those services so that you're not trying to entice people to come to your space all the time and drink 70% alcohol to 30% food and putting all this pressure on them, right? I got to have more of an open mind saying, organically, what do people need? So all of that considered, man, I mean, it's kind of like looking at the big picture I need to recreate a business that has an architectural plan that is sound, that makes sense, that I'm proud of, you know, that I'm like, hell yeah, I'm creating good jobs for good people. We used to say that all the time, but in reality, now looking back in the rearview mirror, we created very tough jobs for very good people. You know, they didn't really put a ton of money in your pocket and keep you secure with your family and all these things, you know. And so, on that note, though, compared to industry standards, we paid very well. The, yeah. What does that say, though? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sure. That's the problem. Sure. And then you well, throw in Black Lives Matter on top of it. This social justice component of reevaluation of things and people going stir crazy really got to the root of my soul of like, what am I doing and why am I doing it? So if I'm making people miserable and I have to work 85 hours every week and I really am not stacking up any cash, what are we doing and why are we doing it? You know, and now people are like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, good for you, but I do need somebody to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So if you know anybody, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and part of it is like, well, I don't really want to do it either, man. Yeah. But you know, it's like, we're here, we've built this reputation. So now the real question in my mind is, what do you do with it? Can't go back. Yeah, Everybody took the blue pill. Right. That's the, that's the million dollar question. Yeah. Um, well, and I will say in and of that, um, and, and if you guys wanted to talk about it a little bit more, uh, I'd love to hear it, but you know, alongside um, the above industry wages to, I think it's apparent just from hearing you guys talk and also uh, just from talking to other people and having experienced it myself, what, what always struck me about working at Spice is that uh, the solicitation of feedback and input from staff it's not something you find all over the place. And I, you know, I was talking to uh, the, your, your co-founder, so to speak, uh, Josh Wu the other day. Um, and he was telling me about you guys surveying, uh, you know, who is still on staff and seeing just how they felt about coming back into it um, and just getting a good read on that. And I don't know how prevalent that is across the industry right now, but that's something that certainly struck me as, demonstrating a hell of a lot of empathy. Um, well, I'll say this. If people aren't surveying their staff, 
then they're in a more desperate situation than they know. Yeah. Because the results mm -hmm. that Jess found were overwhelmingly fearful. I'll let her speak to that. I, I didn't do the survey, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was also like very much the beginning. So everyone was just traumatized a bit and yeah. scared. And, but it was, you know, we made some really quick decisions as a team um, to, you know, close the restaurant indefinitely. And um, so knowing that we weren't going to like do this slow rip off of the bandaid. So we knew that we weren't going to like lead them on and be like, we'll see when we come back to work, you know? So it was really important that we just kind of take everyone's temperature and see like, okay, you don't have a job anymore. How can we help? And it was hard. I mean, we fielded a lot of really challenging phone calls that day of like, okay, wait, so like everything shut down, but I don't have a job in the future. Like there's no chance I have a job. And we're like, it, it just, to go food was, what, wasn't going to do it. Full, full service dining was barely doing it. So, sure. you know, switching to, to go for the style of food that we do wasn't an option. Um, so, so yeah, that was a really, that was a hard day. That was a really hard day. It's interesting what Jess is saying, like throughout that surveying the staff and getting their feedback on it. It hasn't changed that much. Yeah. Like that original survey. Yeah. We did that week of, right. Hey, and that was mostly, we were surveying the staff for like food and shelter security. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, you got $10 an hour bussers. Right? Do you have a place to live? Right. Right. <laughs> And now it's more like, okay, people's unemployment are kicking, but now it's that idea of, hey, are you guys ready and willing and able and still interested in coming back and doing this job at a party of limited size and all this stuff? And for the most part, yes. But it caused, uh, it caused me a lot of self-evaluation, a lot of self-critique looking at how other chefs were navigating this. Sure. And everybody's situation is unique, you know, but I think Doug Katz in Cleveland, you know, he's done a great job launching this ghost kitchen concept, you know, just is basically like, oh, hey, I'm already doing uh, Israeli food, right, to go that translates really well to go. Well, I mean, you're basically just taking your Zoog and twisting it into chimichurri and now let's do a Latin menu, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a whole new restaurant. It doesn't have any infrastructure. It doesn't have anything other than you know, food. Yeah. But, you know, here we are sitting here operationally dark. Yeah. You know, now granted, Doug wasn't three quarters of the way through a two year project building a $3 million building. So that requires its own set of focus. And then the amount of cancellations coming out of first quarter, I mean, it was like the perfect storm of cash flow meets COVID, you know, and it was like, oh my God, we're paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking to that, like, I mean, truly, you're just trying to get through March in, in what we do for a living. Mm -hmm. First quarter is a nightmare every year. Um, and you've got a line of credit and you've got savings. And we you're came just out right trying on budget. To, yeah. Right on budget. But we no, came true. out with but still, when this happened, the, the reserves were down to, you know, very limited. Um, we may have made different decisions if this happened in January when we had a full line of credit and a, and a, you know, a much more robust savings account, but 
it, it is what it is when you've got a full team and you've got a seasonal business. Um, yeah. I mean, it was literally like two weeks before we were about to swing cash flow positive. Yeah. Right. Seriously. Yeah. It was brutal. Um, so yeah. So our hands are tied, you know, is the reality of, and I, I, I said this in the beginning, I, I, I may have made a few decisions too quickly, right? Ooh, like what? <laughs> I don't know. Just looking back on it, of just like, we're closed, we're done, everybody's laid off. We're, you know, like we didn't, I'm just seeing how other people are doing, right? Other people are open. People are selling food. Are they making money? I don't know. Do they know? They might not know. But I guess I was just trying to rationalize those few moments, you know, now that we're going back through them, I'm like, Oh, do we have to relive this again? I'm going to have to justify my actions. No, I disagree. I think it was, I think it was the right move from the rip. Um, I do. It wouldn't have lasted. It would have been that much more stressful and we might be making worse decisions for the future because we're basing them on the emotions and the stress that we're feeling of, a restaurant that is operational and losing even more money than it did before, mm -hmm. you know? So it's just like, woulda, coulda, shoulda, we'll never know. But I think um, from the response that I think that we got from just other industry people, like kind of on the side of like, that was brave and it was probably really smart. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Oh, well, what I was going to say was the point was, we're not trying to get to October. We're trying to get to next April. Mm -hmm. Because in my opinion, this year is shot. You know, if it was up to me, I would call every client right now and cancel for the rest of the year. Yeah. Give them their money back and just focus on the long game. Yeah. So, you know, we got to get to April with a half million bucks in our new facility and have a real direction with how we're going to meet the new dining public at their dinner table. How are we going to be more a part of that? And frankly, I don't need to worry about whether or not we're out of to-go containers while I'm trying to pivot a company I've been running for 16 years. Sure. Yeah, yeah, know yeah. that. I mean, there's, there's plenty of uh, pragmatic logic to that. And it's sort of like you're closing the gap between operator and uh, client or guest or, you know, well, I think what I want to avoid is state is being in a stressful place, mm -hmm. making decisions that are going to unfold over the next five to 10 years. Yeah. And we all know that if you're in a, you know, I said this on Monday cause we, it was a tough day on Monday. We had to give a refund because a client was being totally unprofessional about us wanting to stay safe basically to, to summarize. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I kind of said, like, we have to stay in a logical frame of mind. We cannot be making decisions from an emotional place. Yeah. And that's what I was most afraid of being in that dust storm of the COVID Valley in the beginning of like, I don't know where we're going. So I'm not going to tell you guys where to go. You know? Yeah. So is that, you know, from a leadership standpoint, um, I'd love to hear what both of you had to say on this one. Uh, do you think that's the most important thing moving forward? I would say it's, in my opinion, it's thinking outside of the old paradigm, number mm -hmm. one, uh, get, get outside of the circle, 
Number two, stay logical about why you're making these decisions, you know, tie it in with the logic. And third, most importantly, know exactly how much it's going to cost to get there. I don't know. I think from a leadership perspective, this has been, you know, obviously like one of the more challenging things just because it's uncharted. Um, So for me, like, I appreciate everything Ben said from a business owner perspective, but for me, um, being kind of the in-between of a lot of the employees and him, you know, I'm talking with them a bit more and he's more high level operational stuff. Um, So a lot of the time I'm just asking for honesty with them of like, anybody thinking about quitting? Anybody not care about this anymore? Um, it's totally fine. This is, we're in the trust tree (laughs) and you can tell me like whatever is going through your head, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I just want you all to know, like you're allowed to have these thoughts. You're allowed to be in love with this job and still quit because you don't want to put yourself at risk. Um, cause that is a big thing. Like we might have to go do events, even following all these guidelines that we put in place. Again, we put them in place for our team that we're sending out there to mm-hmm. feel safe. Um, but at the end of the day, they still have to go to work and really put themselves at risk, just like any other essential worker that is forced to go to work during this time. And that's a huge decision for a lot of them. Some of them won't be able to see their family anymore because they'll just go back to quarantining. They'll just go to work and that's it because they can't risk putting anyone else at risk. And that's a heavy load as leaders to be like, well, shit, like I'm, and it's like, and part of me is like, well, I'm going to be there right next to you. But then I'm like, I'm just one more person to put anybody at risk, you know, like we're not demanding everybody get tested before work. That's just the reality of it. Anybody could be asymptomatic. So you're just trying to like be supportive to them. So they don't feel like they're going into a war zone without their leader. But at the same time, it's just like, how do you make those decisions? You know, Yeah. Um, you know, that other side of that is never ask somebody to do something you wouldn't do. Right. And yeah, that's always been like our work ethic there. I will carry all the heavy stuff right next to you. I'll never just dole out workers. Um, sure. So that that's a huge piece of like me saying, you have to go run a gig and no one expects me to be there. I don't go to the gigs anymore, but there's like this part of me that feels like I need to be there with them. Like I can't tell them they have to go do this and I wouldn't do it myself. And those are just hard thoughts to have. Yeah. So as a leader, I mean, I'm just trying to be supportive and make, do what I can in my power and my logic to keep them safe by creating the right policies by, I don't care if I had to just revise these COVID policies four different times in two days. We kept thinking of more things to keep our team safe. And the more things that got added to the list, the better they felt about going into that ballroom or wherever. And And that is like being an advocate for your team. That's what you have to do. And that's why at the end of the day, I'm going to fight with the bride's mom tooth and nail, because if you don't want to follow these policies, sorry, I'm out. Jess has done such a great job with adjusting our operational protocols to meet the new reality every week. It was kind of funny last week. She wrote up all this shit. We were trying to keep this client happy. They were impossible. They're moving their event from county to county so they could dance and carry on. 
and then that county would go up and it was just we we're just burning up cash right just to yeah. like try to appease this person and then that's the refund we ended up having to give of a non-refundable deposit just to get him out of our hair right. my point was Jess sends me the protocols I got I and I'm not the best with my email everybody that knows me knows <laughs> but I answered it a day later and I said, are any of these still relevant and valid? And the answer was no. And that wasn't it. So like, seriously, spend six hours writing up a sheet of how we're going to do this safely. And then 24 hours later, do it again. Rewrite it. Yeah. (laughs) My response was actually suggested by Outlook. So I didn't even write that. (laughs) You were just like, do any of these even matter anymore? And I was like, no, no, they don't. No. Well, I mean, hey, at least you saved yourself some time, right? Yeah. What are you going to do with all that extra time? Right. Um, I, I was talking with a guy uh, that I know down in North Carolina a few days ago, and he and his wife are looking at uh, opening up new ventures shortly. Well, so his wife uh, has a bakery that she's opening up pretty soon, and he's looking at opening up a new venture shortly after the first of the year. And he said something that very much uh, mirrored what you guys are saying. And it just got me thinking about like, you know, as business owners and as leaders of a pretty substantial team, you got a lot of responsibility with your staff and looking out for the staff. And, you know, as you say, it's super important to remember that and not just make decisions based on, well, I mean, you know, lost revenue, not, not to discount the importance of lost revenue, but, um, you know what though, when lives are on the line, fuck revenue, it's not worth it. I'm serious, uh, man. Oh, yeah. it's true. I mean, it's, it's part of the default of, and God bless our investors. They're just such trusting good people. Cause we're trying to do right by not only the farms and the environment and the economy, by our team, right? We, we, and now this break, really, while Jess is navigating and redialing in our operational protocol so that we can exist as a catering company, while she is holding that down, I'm quite literally redrawing the entire plans for this company. Yeah. Because what it used to be isn't what we said it was. Yeah. It's not creating as good of jobs as we want them to be for people. It's not going to be able to repay all this debt. I mean, dude, we have almost $2 million in debt now. We came through this with $175,000 in debt pre-COVID. Now that is $1.75 million in debt. And we're not operating. So I just, I can't stress enough how much looking at this now i was telling jackie it was like we were living in a house with the basement only had three walls so everybody had to be in the basement sticking two by fours under the side of the house you know and it was just like one would break so you run and grab one and then go get me more what right and you're just like everybody's under there nobody's out at the street seeing that the inherent architecture of this plan is flawed yeah and anybody who does run out to the street gets yelled at by the people in the basement for not being down there helping. Right. <laughs> so from a business owner perspective, 
I want Jess to feel free and know that like survey the team, right? Tell clients what we need to tell them. Lose the ones we need to lose. It's fine. Everything's fine. Because on a whole, we need to reevaluate how we are taking this human capital element, empowering them and growing them into future activists and employers. And how are we taking this agricultural bounty of the region and utilizing these two things together to create something that makes financial sense and work-life balance sense. Cause I'll be damned if I go back to working 85 hours a week for, you know, a pittance really. Yeah. And I make okay money, but when you, you know, you do that equation, everybody's 15 bucks an hour. Never do the math. <laughs> I don't even know how. So we even talked about simple stuff. Like we're going to pivot spice to be a new type of restaurant. I'm not going to say what it is. Cause I don't know when this is going to air. Okay. But well, uh, let's, let's, Never mind. I started to see if I can coerce you into giving it up. <laughs> For lack of a better term, right? Let's say we're going to be some style of a quick service restaurant. Okay. I want the minimum wage to be fifteen fifty. I want everyone to have health care. Everybody. Why shouldn't they? You know. So that means taking a twelve dollar an hour dishwashing position, right? Which isn't by paying that dishwasher twelve bucks an hour, you're not making that person's life any better. You're also they're not really making your life any better, right? Yeah. They're like, man, this cheapskate. And you're like, where the hell is this dude? He's always late, right? We know this paradigm. All too well. I'd rather take that $12 an hour position, evaporate it amongst the four people that are operating the kitchen on the daily basis and say, you wash your own stuff. And now yeah. you guys each get another two bucks an hour. So now like you're at 1550 and you're at 1780 and you're at, you know, 21. That seems like a worthy exchange for your time. Sure. But then I need a profit. I need a profit margin to support that. Yeah. I need a revenue stream that enables that. Right. Yeah. And we all know spice kitchen and bar didn't do that. Yeah. So high volume all the time. That's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, having, having been in situations where uh, high volume was the name of the game. I, I definitely you know, butts and seats, as they say. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think the distancing capacity and the fact that dine-in can never be what it was, at least for the foreseeable future, it's almost a relief, right? It's like the pressure valve came off. Now yeah. I know for a fact we can't have 40 open menus and 15 people standing at the door because there's physically no room for that. Right. Right. So it's this thought I dude, I got this in my mind that I know I can like crack the freaking code of restaurants. Mm -hmm. We all know we're going to be busy on Friday and Saturday night. We know we're going to do 120 to 200 covers, but we're not going to start doing it until you get there and ask us for it. That's insane. You're right. <laughs> like, and then we're going to run around like crazy and then turn away a third of the people that show up. Cause that's insane. So it's like so who, somebody called Il Rion for a pizza the other day and they got, they actually answered their phone and they were like, yeah, we're taking orders for tomorrow. And it was like five 15. There's some sanity there. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're sold out. Right. Like, what? It's five 15. Yep. You want one tomorrow. You can we put you on a list. Right. So as far as moving forward, as far as how much 
you guys have worked together in the past and how that dynamic contributes to what you're working on um, in the future. What would you say is the most important characteristic between the two of you as far as a business partnership goes? Yeah, my answer to that question would be trust. Yeah, trust for sure. In, in I know that I know that Jess trusts me enough to doubt me. And that is saying something. Yeah. Because when your partner doubts you, if they don't trust you, they don't tell you. And then you get killed, you know? Um, you know, we, we always kind of, we talked about that a lot of like, who's the most observant person isn't always the most vocal person, right? And if you create a culture of fear, then you're going to lose out on that. They saw that with roadside bomb attacks in Afghanistan and Iraq. Oftentimes it was the newest kid on the ground that saw the clothespin. He was terrified. So he didn't say anything. And then, you know, they're interviewing enough guys with no legs in the fricking VA. And it's like, what'd you see? What'd you see? What'd you see? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so establishing a, a kind of an environment of like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been here or if you're a great chef or not. If you have a skill set that offsets my weakness, you become more valuable in that capacity. So right now, I trust that the person that we're hiring, I'm utilizing some help with a recruiter and just kind of going off the map of how we've hired in the past. Yeah. Because how we hired in the past was for cultural fit. Hey, do we like you? Do we think you can do this job? Great. Well, my recruiter kind of challenged me and he was like, never hire someone to do a job they haven't done before. So what's the biggest thing you're doing this year? Right. I'm like, well, I'm going to open a, I'm going to reconcept my restaurant. I'm going to move a, million and a half dollar catering operation into a new building um, and execute all these exclusive agreements. So a lot, just like wearing a lot of hats, right? So basically if you're not interviewing people that are multi-unit managers and operators, Mm -hmm. they're not going to be able to handle this. They're not going to be able to teach you how to do it and bring the systems that they've proven work. So I have to trust myself in that capacity. I have to trust Jess that she's going to embrace this decision, this person, you know, and she has to trust me that I'm not going to bite her freaking head off. If she tells me like, dude, this is not the guy, this is not a good decision. Right. Yeah. The stakes are high, man. Yeah. It sounds like it. to one degree or another that that's across the board for any independently operated um, food service establishment everywhere yeah i do think though there's going to be a ton of navigation happening of, of all these professionals yes we're going to lose 20 percent of the workforce because they're going to all go be artists right um, however everybody that's left after they come through the covid valley and they have their new set of values and what they're willing to sacrifice for what they want in return it's going to be a ton of shifting of talent yeah. you know so while larger organizations are pivoting and reconcepting and trying to meet the new need. Now that's going to shuffle the deck of all of the hotel chefs and, you know, arena chefs and all the stuff that just ain't happening for a while. 
you know, what's the chef of Gundarina doing? Yeah. What's the chef of, you know, progressive field doing. Yeah. So well, I th- well there's nothing to happen now. It, the recruitment space around this industry is going to be very active in the next two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wild times. Yeah, buddy. Sure are. Yeah. But you know, when this, when this went down in the beginning, we accepted the death of it. I think sooner than most people. And from the beginning, we had said, we are not restarting this business. This is a startup. So that means I don't need to hire a freaking GM for a restaurant, right? I need a dude or a woman that has opened places, yeah. multiple places, you know? Yeah. Keeps you on your toes. It's an exciting time to be operating a business, you know? Yeah. I was kind of saying that to a couple of my candidates that I was interviewing for ops position. It's just like, how lucky are we that we have a brand new facility to move into and a bank account full of cash? It's all debt, but we do right. have a lot of money to work with and we get to do whatever we want. Yeah. And that's the thing that's kind of tough is walking that line between the old world of catering and the insistence of some of this clientele that is just like, I still want a party like where the true food revenue dollar lies and they're not the same place. Yeah. And I'm really putting a lot more of my mental space, my creative energy around meeting that future need. 